Mutz. Hey, Danny. Guess what I just realized? What'd you realize? Well, it's super early in the morning because, you know, I'm about to do some traveling naturally. Right. And uh, apparently this is the day that everyone decides to do the, um, the the lawn care outside of the apartment building that I live in. So if you hear some uh, blowers around, that's like, that's a, that's a nice treat at eight in the morning. Just here we go. Yeah. yeah you know, it's funny when, uh, when yard work can happen sometimes at the most inopportune moments. The only thing worse when you're somebody who records things is a, is a random dog barking. Right. And it's, and it's never what you expect, but. Uh, but I'm happy to be here early morning. We're both sipping on coffee, which I think mm-hmm. is appropriate given that we haven't talked a lot about coffee in the Coffee House Blunders for a while. So I am uh, I am joy- enjoying a little home brew here out of my cup that says, those who watch my TV shows know my one of my favorite mugs is the I love my computer, all my friends live in there. <laughs> so I'm enjoying I'm enjoying my Joe. What are you uh, What are you sipping on this well, morning? I, I am uh, I'm happy to be one of your friends that is inside of that computer far, far away. Uh, I am currently sipping on a Colombian coffee from a blue bottle. Naturally, it's a single origin. Uh, this morning, I snapped you a photo, and by snap, I mean texted um, a photo of um, me blooming. Yeah. Ooh, it was a, it's a beautiful blooming Honestly, coffee. Honestly, it was, it was almost it was almost inappropriate. I mean, that's how excited it got me. I mean, you texted me blooming of the coffee just to show me that you were. I was. I went nuts. It was. It was awesome. It was delicious. And I'm in this cup that I got, um, I got Heather actually, it's this Kickstarter. Cause you know, I love the Kickstarter and yeah. what it is, it's, it's the c- uh, chemical molecule composition of coffee and the, uh, mug transforms colors from, from dark to light, if you will, in a transition of evil to good when the coffee, uh, fills and then, cause it, like the heat. And then when it, uh, it lowers, you can see how much coffee I've left because it yeah. returns back to dark. But, but I got, I got to cut you off there. Cause I don't mean to, I mean, you just, you made a comment about evil to good. And that reminds me that I want to make a point about the upcoming star Wars movie. So for everyone who is confused and worried, maybe even a little heartbroken about what Luke says at the end of the trailer, when he says, you know, the only thing he knows for sure is that Jedi must end as I, I was just telling you. I was just, yeah, I mean, it's like, what? How could you say that? The greatest Jedi ever. But what I was telling you is his whole reckoning that he's come. And I, I came to this, I came to this conclusion in a moment of clarity when my tyrant of a one-year-old was refusing to go to sleep at 4 a.m. These are the things that randomly pop in my head and it happened this morning. And I realized that what Luke has seen, James, is that the illusion is the separation between the light and the dark, the good to evil. So what he's going to do is train this young Padawan to understand like the deeper force. Like he's gone beyond Yoda, beyond Mace Windu. Like Luke has gone so far deep. He's like lost himself and now he's found peace on the other side. So for those who are upset, just get, I feel like we are in, in on, on a train here. We are on a path of, of basically an amazing, I'm now more excited for Star Wars than I've ever been in my life. So I just yeah, want to I'm, say that. I, I just am so happy, you know, this is in, in 10 episodes or so, almost 10 episodes, we've now mentioned Star Wars quite a few times, which makes me happy because I, you know, I grew up with Star Wars. It's it's at the core of my soul. And <laughs> when I when I, when I look at The Last Jedi's uh, movie poster, it's, I just, I just put it to you in the Zencaster, is uh, it's um, very dark and mischievous and like i don't there, there's some there's something in luke's eye like you know like he's just so deep and then his like beard is just like i'll put this i'll just want to put just this link to the um <laughs> to the the trail i have no idea what is happening but i'm so excited i cannot wait right. only, only six more months to go 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't even want to even make any more predictions because I, I, I'm going to admit something. I feel like I have a real skill for guessing plot lines, and I don't want to say any more that I think about this, about oh, what's going to happen I used to when, watch when, Luke, when Luke and Kylo Ren face off at the end of that movie. I have a feeling about what, how that plays out. So let's let's move on to since we're all talking about what we're going to watch at the end of this year with Star Wars: The Force Awakens. See it mm-hmm. first um, and let us know about it. But let's let's talk about um, what we did watch last week was that you and I both caught up with Magnus, the the documentary recommended to us uh, from a listener. So thank you so much for all the listener feedback we've been getting. And I want you to go first since you're the non chess guy. I anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that I actually really really like this documentary. I loved the the way it was, uh, just the, the way it was presented in the package of how they brought chess and the personality of, of Magnus and his family to life. So I thought it was awesome. But I want to know what were your questions? What, where are you, where are you skeptical? Where are you wanting more? Mr. Well, James. so it was, inter- you know, it was interesting to me. So, so Mitch was the one that said like, Hey, you guys got to check out this Magnus, um, movie. And like, I never heard of it. You know, I, it's on Netflix. So it's like really easy to get into and watch. And, so I sat down and uh, saw that you were watching it. So I'm like, I'm going to watch this too because I haven't watched a chess documentary in a while. And and um, so this is a type of documentary following the life of Magnus. And what's interesting about this is that you see some things from his childhood. So you're seeing like kind of, you know, household footage. You're seeing when their parents kind of got into it and were starting to take him into chess. But it was even earlier before that you started to learn the core, the base root of Magnus, who Magnus is as a child, as he's growing up. And it was so interesting. But then also the the struggle. So what I think I didn't realize about chess and about these tournaments is that they're at this level, even if they're... Um, you know, not online or just in person, but he, when he had to travel to not just India, but the ones before that, when he went to all these different chess events, like you are just surrounded by people. And I guess I didn't realize that because I'm just at home playing on chess.com and I'm just like, oh, I'm just you know, doing this thing. But the amount of just like pressure and the amount of stress, like it was so interesting yep. to watch him struggle through it and, and watch his growth. So I learned so much about Magnus uh, in this movie and the icon that he is um, in Norway and and where he was from, where he grew up, the struggles he went through and, and a lot about his personality. So, you know, I haven't watched tons or no, nor have I followed the career of Magnus, but now I have a deeper insight into into well, why is Magnus so um, amazing at what he does today? Why does he care so much? But also, why is he the way that he is? I guess a little bit. I don't think I don't think we'll fully understand Magnus. But what I really liked is they had this diagram of when he first got this uh, flag book uh, growing right. up that he, all the country's flags and he could. His parents were saying, well, he could see patterns, he could see shapes, and he can make these connections. And they were drawing lines on it. And over and over again during the movie, they apply that to the chessboard where where when a move is made or even before a move is made, Magnus is 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 picking apart every single possible combination in his mind. And he's all these flows and and all the different outcomes. But he's not just doing that when he's sitting at a chessboard. He's doing that all the time. Like, so you always. really like the way they you like that sort of animation, uh, if you will, the way they kind of brought his the way his brain is working to life there. With, with the yeah, I really enjoyed the, the that. thing they did uh, there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I it's really enjoyed this. Like, I loved it. Yeah, as a as a chess as a chess player, I mean, I, I think that I, I thought that that was really interesting, and I thought that that was um, a way uh, a, a cool way to bring the inner workings of Magnus's brain to life for somebody who um, maybe doesn't doesn't understand like like uh, how a high level player would be calculating, and then 
the, they also did it in a way that was they obviously had some serious chess consulting on it because there were no chess mistakes in the movie like in, in the final end of those little awesome little patterns they show and the highlights in Magnus's brain and it shows like the knight coming to C4 like that's mm -hmm. the movie actually physically even though the camera goes away and anybody else maybe wouldn't have known but like I could see like where he was moving he was it was literally that exact position with knight to C4 they um so just from like that perspective it was like okay like they really took their time with this they wanted to make sure that it came across really well as a chess player, like I, I could really, I mean, it was like that wasn't like that even that cool to me. I really liked mm -hmm. the the personal insight to Magnus's. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you've heard legend. Anybody who's followed Magnus's career, I already knew about this legend of him having like all the countries in the world their flags like memorized. I, I heard that he had that done at like four or five years old or something incredible, and that was like some sort of early sign of his basically potentially photographic memory. Um, and so I had heard of that. I had never seen it on camera. And to, so the fact that they had footage of him as a little kid doing this, I don't know where they, I mean, it was just so amazing. It was like the way it came together, it was like they've been preparing a documentary on this kid since birth, right? I mean, or yeah. since really early childhood, which I just think is impressive when you have the opportunity to do something like that and have the kind of footage they did. Um, I think, I think one, one, I do want to talk about one chess thing, and I, I, I'm curious what you think about this because we did get some listener feedback uh, on Twitter. I, I need to find his name, but one, some of the negative feedback came about how they covered the World Championship match itself, in, in particular mm -hmm. regards to Vichy Anand, uh, mm -hmm. the reigning world champion, and sort of painted him as basically just this sort of like uh, computer engine preparation junkie, um, and and that that was really all he was, or, or, or I feel like the, the user who was upset on Twitter was slightly overreacting to that. I actually don't think that was a big deal. I think that um, Vichy is... Uh, Kasparov set the tone in terms of learning how to use computer engines and push the engine past its breaking point. What I mean by that is initially when engines started to first sort of progress past man in chess, they would evaluate things differently because the process by which a computer arrives at an evaluation is so different from a human relying on intuition, relying on pattern recognition. For, for an AI, that's not, they're not at that level yet. There isn't intuition. They're just calculating so many possibilities, they just outdo you. Mm -hmm. But, but Kasparov was so good at pushing the needle, pushing the envelope, and, he, and then all of a sudden the engine would flip. We call this, we call this in chess, we call it a horizon effect where the, 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 the human being knows that the sun is going to rise the next day. A computer doesn't know the sun is rising until it comes up. Like yeah. the horizon effect is that the, the human can see the future even though it's not in front of them, whereas an engine isn't trained to think like that. So that's like a quick summary of, of like a little chess, uh, how to use engine thing. And, and even if Kasparov started it, Vichy Anon took computer preparation and what it was capable of doing and winning chess games before they even started to a whole nother level. And I actually consider that one of his greatest contributions to chess. And, and the fact that he, um, was winning games. I have a video on chess.com's YouTube channel where he used some preparation that he didn't get to use in his world championship match where he beat, I think, to Paulov. He, he beat Levon Aronian later in, in Viking Z 2013 in just this epic game. Um, and it was like all preparation. It like yeah. with brilliant sacrifices. And I consider that, I consider that brilliant by itself, um, without even the need for that. So, so yes, they kind of painted it as, as like a little bit of a battle between, you know, Magnus's natural intuition talent versus Vichy's preparation. But I don't really think that's a bad thing because I think Vichy is still 
an incredibly, I mean, he's my favorite world champion probably to this day. So I don't see that as a negative. But how, how did you take that little, the way they framed that? Well, I think that they framed it. Yeah, exactly. I think that they framed it as Magnus is this outgoing. He's just like hanging out like his prep is really, like really lightweight, which I highly doubt it was. But, you know, he's just like whatever. And, you know, just he's, he's cool and calm like a cucumber. And then yeah, Vichy is like this machine, you know, who's pumping out these games. And and like that's what he's going by. And I think I think you're right. I mean, I think that if you look at any other sports ball that's out there, if you take football, for instance, uh, American football, I mean, these teams are studying the entire history of these coaches, these plays, like, do they go left? Do they go right? What are they doing? Every single move. And you're analyzing. So you're trying to tackle it in a specific way. Now, of course, with chess, though, there's literally uh, there's only so many moves. There's only so many calculations that you can possibly do. So, like, technically, you could figure out every single move. I mean, it's bajillions of numbers, but the the amount that people are going to play. So I think that what they did with Vichy was they highlighted his genius to catch on to chess um the, the the engines if you will early and how he was training and i thought it was really impressive i mean i couldn't do that i think it takes a, a mastermind to actually even be able to to do that and remember all those things so i don't think right. that they downplayed his genius at all but i think what they did highlight was what magnus did was that he I think I think they highlighted in a way that like, oh, well, Magnus is throwing off these these moves that aren't, you know, in the engine or whatever. And I'm like, no, what, what I think Magnus did is I think he got into his head. And I think just like in any other game, any other sport, any other situation in life, once you creep in to someone like in someone's brain, you can even say it's happening to Magnus. Magnus would be distracted or he would be he would be upset with one little thing and, and they got to him. Right. And then your brain is thrown off. And I think that's kind of what happened to Vichy is that at some point game three, game four or whatever, and they were, they were like tie, tie, tie. And then all of a sudden, you know, Magnus did something. He did something that just like, like poked Vichy the wrong way. And it just right. threw him off. It threw him off so by 0.0001%. Is somebody who you say that as somebody who, I mean, you really, you don't even know the specifics of why you're even more right than you are. I'm telling you, you're at, you're, you're totally right. And actually, my assessment of that match, um, and I, I watched it with a couple friends that that night when I watched Magnus, and we so we were kind of reliving that, and it was kind of fun. Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right, and it actually, one of the things they they did downplay is that the Magnus was already in Vichy's head to start the match. The focus mm -hmm. here was on Magnus's nerves and kind of how he eventually relaxed into the match, as far as how they portrayed it in the documentary, um, and and kind of relaxed with his family. There's that scene where they play cards, and suddenly Magnus finds his groove, remembers what he loves doing, and does it, but. But in reality, yeah, uh, Magnus was actually in Vichy's head to start the match because their lifetime record outside of this World Championship match was um, very much in favor of Magnus. Mm, and okay. Vichy's, Vichy's chance to strike in that match was early. He he His opportunity where he was sort of accepting these draws, and that's the one thing about the way the documentary plays it up, like, okay, Vichy's got to be happy with this draw early and his preparation is holding. The truth is, in covering that match, Vichy's real chance to strike was early when Magnus Carlsen's nerves in the match, because he was his first ever world championship match, all that stuff, when Magnus was still kind of figuring himself out. 
And so the fact that Vichy didn't do that and didn't strike when he had some advantages showed that Magnus was in his head. And every all of us who were watching was like, okay, the writing is on the wall here. Eventually, Magnus is going to settle in. Eventually, he's going to calm down. It took till game five. And when he does, if Vichy isn't up a game or two, if he hasn't been aggressive with his preparation, then it's just going to be a slippery slope and it's going to run off the, the train's going to run away. And that's exactly what happened. And so what's funny is their second world championship match, they had a rematch two years later. I don't know if you knew that. But they're in their rematch. Vichy was a little more aggressive and and actually I think had more opportunities but still didn't quite pull the trigger I think on opportunities to strike and still eventually lost because because Magnus outplayed him over time in the match and 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 Vichy was not was not capitalizing on his preparation. So interesting stuff. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, you have Netflix. It's there. It's it's good to go which is pretty awesome. But, um, and it, and it, what I liked about it, it was only about like 75, 80 minutes. So it's not like a huge commitment. It's not like you're going to sit down for 18 hours. And right. even if you're newer to chess, you're still going to understand it because it's more about Magnus, the person. And I like documentaries. So it was right up my alley. Yeah. Well, we, we've talked, this has been a pretty long what's new section, obviously focusing on uh, the Magnus thing. But, but look, before we leave it, we have to tell everybody just how funny the world is right now. Because after all of this, all of this talk about it, you are actually... You said you're traveling this week. You are off to the motherland of the Magnus Carlsen, the Carl Magnus. Are the you going to meet Magnuson. with Carl Magnuson while you're there? Or what are you doing in Norway? So I reached out to Carl Magnuson and I said, hey, I'm going to be out in Oslo. If you want to play some chess, let me know. <laughs> let me know. Uh, I don't know if you know, I have an 800 rating on uh, chess.com, right. um, as everyone does when you start. Um, right. Actually, a little bit higher now. I've been going up and I've been playing quite a bit, actually. Uh, losing a lot. Um and it would be an honor to lose to you, Magnus. No, um, so I'm out there for a conference, NDC Oslo, uh, which is super fun. By the time I think this comes out, I'll probably be on my way home already. So uh, it's it's quick back and forth, but uh, it's beautiful. I love Oslo. It's one of my favorite um, cities, and or Norway is uh, one of my favorite countries to visit. And it was so funny because I didn't know so much about Magnus or like, you know, he, I think he like lives in Oslo now, or he like grew up around Oslo and in this, yeah. this history. So I thought it was he funny that I'm like off there, to the yeah. mother country. <laughs> yep. Well, that'll be fun. Have fun. And uh if I knew Carl Magnuson's address, I would give it to you. Actually, I wouldn't. That'd be really unethical. But, you know, I don't know where he lives, but I know he does live in Oslo. So that's funny. And um, all right. Well, do you want to take us through this awesome listener feedback? I just want to thank everybody who's been tuning in and, you know, downloading. And we're, we seem to be growing a little bit of uh, we're actually catching some we're catching some steam here and, and people giving us feedback from on everything from Xamarin to coffee to chess. And I'll let you take us through this awesome feedback from Mr. Sean Finn at Sean yeah. underscore P underscore Finn on Twitter. Yeah. So, Sean, we super appreciate it. I'm going to summarize a lot of uh, the, the the email that was sent in so we can kind of focus on some of the questions. But, you know, Sean, Sean, again, I think what's interesting is follow me for a bit and listen to Merge Conflict, my other podcast. But, you know, had played chess a little bit in the past, you know, you know, loves board games, didn't know who Danny was, but now is loving it because it's like bringing him back and returning to the game of chess, which I think is cool. And the process behind chess, which is why I love not only just talking to you, Danny, every week, but I'm learning more and more. And, and, and I now find my pastime of just going on and playing random games and getting my butt whooped. But that's OK. So questions for the show, since we are a chess and a um, coffee show. He has two questions. And the first one, which I've actually been wanting to ask you for a while so we can correct the situation is, oh, is gosh. what is your coffee setup at home? Yeah, here it goes. So, yeah. so, so uh, Sean just has like a single serve coffee and, and, you know, so a French press, but he was curious about what we had. So, uh, you take well, this first, you're, you're going to have to be the one who leads by example with this. I mean, if he's, if Sean's really looking for some, 
from inter you know to get some insight on what a what a, a true coffee aficionado uh, does at home. That's you. I as we know, I'm I'm basically living hand to mouth when I get to sneak over to Luke's house. I do not have the the the, the press the 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 pour over. I do not have the setup. I have. Um, I, I, I bounce around. I, I get my local organic red eye at a, at, a, at a shop here. That's what I'm drinking this morning. I sneak over to Luke's, and then on occasion, I'll get some good coffee. If everyone's over on a weekend, I will make a pot just so everyone gets mm -hmm. to have a nice Joe together. I'm, you know what I am? I, I'm a social, I, I'm, I'm a social cat, right? I mean, I yeah, love my yeah. coffee in the morning. And as I said, you brought me, you brought me the gift of being a coffee snob, where now I take my time to enjoy coffee and sort of find my zen. I no longer just chug it, but I am still a. I have much to learn in the art of setting up a proper copy, uh, a proper coffee setup at home. Yeah, so it's um. I, I used to be just like you. I understand. I'm hopping around, going to Luke's when I can't. Um, um, <laughs> what's um? What I have is so I, when I moved to Seattle, I kind of became a coffee snob, and and this kind of grew out of a passion where I used to have a pot at home and, and a little small espresso machine, like a little Mr. Coffee thing. And, and what I do now is, 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 so I use a delivery service called Blue Bottle Coffee. They're based out of San Francisco. They acquired a startup called Tonks where they do single origin blends every two weeks. So I get this fresh, beautiful beans roasted on Sunday at my doorstep on Tuesday or Wednesday, and it's the perfect condition. So the beans are there. Now the brew method always adjust because I've been, I, I bought back and forth. So I have multiple setups. So my standard is a Hario V60 pour over because pour overs are just delightful. Four minutes in the morning, I put the, put the water on before I get in the shower, I come out, you know, boom, I'm able to make my coffee. Um, I'm currently out of filters for that. So I've moved back to my Chemex, which is nice. So Chemex is a little bit more, you're getting like 700 milliliters of, of uh, Joe right into your, into your throat hole, um, which is great. And those actually have different, different flavor profiles, right? So every one of these has a different flavor profile with the same bean. So those two are more of a medium um, grind and you need a good burr grinder, which um, Sean did ask. And I recommend just this Bodum grinder. It's like 70 bucks. Very good. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, That's what I have. You don't need a $5,000 one. I mean, this is, you're like, you're, you're making love to my, to my mental state right now. I love, I love everything that's coming out of your mouth. And even though yeah. I, I'm just proud of myself, James, that even though I don't have this same setup, I'm proud of myself that I speak the language of knowing that the outcome is pure happiness in, in a it cup. Is, it, it is pure happiness in a cup. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's good. And, and so those are like my bigger stores. I also have French presses. Everyone has a French press at that point. Cause it's like set it and forget it. Right. But, um, my favorite method, by the way, is none of those that I've mentioned. It's just an AeroPress. AeroPress is the best thing ever created. It's a single cup, making it under a minute. There's no need to ever have a coffee machine for a single cup or a single serve, anything. Just a little Chemex or no, a little AeroPress. And the AeroPress is great because it's actually an espresso grind. So your coffee beans last a long time because it's not very much coffee and it makes a great cup of coffee. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, amazing. I'll, uh, I'll I'll be following through in the show notes. We we got to improve Danny's setup here. Everyone knows that it's almost like a global mission now. Um, but I'll I'll tackle the next one. So uh, Sean also mm. asked if there are if there are tabletop games besides chess that you frequently play and love. I th I think he's kind of talking to both of us. But I guess I'll 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 jump in and tackle it as the as the chess guy. So um, I'm actually I'm I'll, I'll come clean here and say like I am not by nature a gamer. I am not a board gamer, and I am not a an online gamer. I, I it, which is funny because some of the other 
um, co-founders at chess.com, some of my other co-owners are like, like Jay, our CTO and Eric, they are much more, they just have, they have so many stories of all these different board games and they have introduced me to like some really epic board games that go beyond just, Hey, let's roll the dice for Monopoly or play some risk, you know, where I have, I basically was exposed to chess at a young age. And, um, for me, chess was much more about, you know, it was, it's a sporting competition. And I think that as a kid that was, I was a little small. I grew, I grew later in life. And, and, and I, I talk about why I got so committed and into chess, uh, often. And I think about it because I realized that I got good at chess because I was good at chess. Like, it's like mm-hmm. a catch 22. I think because I, I wasn't into other sports as much or I was kind of dabbling here and there. All of a sudden I started playing chess and the fact that I was good at it made me want to do it even more. Right. So it became this sort of vicious or beautiful cycle, depending on your perspective of someone who's either wasted or committed them their lives to a game. Um, so that's, that's the thing I just want to say first is I am not a gamer by nature, but that being said, I, I do play a lot more board games now. We've been, we've played this game called Acquire, which is an interesting game. It's basically capitalism on a, on an interesting tile board. I'm, I'm going to recommend some obscure ones because I think people will like that. Um, then what is this other game? Uh, I forget. It's like a Russia versus, or a Soviet Russia versus, it's like a Cold War card game that's crazy. Um, but with, with, when, when we get a, around and like we're hanging out with my kids i've already said i'll play i'll play blockus um we'll play different kind of just basic strategy games like risk or star wars risk or something the kids like that stuff but i'm not you know i'm not a a blow your mind with a whole bunch of board games kind of guy uh so what about you i mean maybe you have more board games to talk about than i do yeah, so I'm actually looking here. I'm looking up at our board game collection. We've mentioned the Mastermind and the Blocks at Blockus and the Cortical, you know, the the standard. Mm. And I think like you, I don't usually, I, I love board games. We have friends that are really into it. And there's some great places around here that like Mox is like this place where you can go get coffee and food and you can just play any board game you want. Um, you know, Heather and I play a lot of games at home. So it's actually quite hard for us to find just two player games um but she did find and recommended a game called jaipur um uh, which is like a really fun card trading game um i'm going to put it in the show notes it's a little pricey but it's a good two player game it's about 30 minutes it's it's kind of like a blend of tactics where you're trying to like collect different materials and then trade those materials in and do trade things like that it's quite good um if you're looking for a two-player game but one game that heather got me actually for i think christmas i want to say um, it's a four-player game. You have to have four players. It's called Scotland Yard, um, and it's a lot of people may not know this from the U.S. because it's a, more of an international game, but it is amazing. So Scotland Yard, the idea is that three of the people on your team are Scotland Yard. You're the cops, right? And there's this person called Mr. X who's the bad guy. Now, here's what's really cool about it is that all the cops, uh, you your chest, your your pieces are on the board and you can take transit. So you're taking subway systems and buses and moving around. You try to capture Mr. X, but Mr. X is invisible on the board. So he doesn't he doesn't have a piece. Right. So you have to, like, figure out based on, like, where these different pieces are moving. You can, like, have him reveal himself at, like, one point in the game. Like, there's different, like, things that will do it. But it's a super fun, diehard game to, like, kind of get in because you're moving around and you're taking, like, public transit and you're trying to trap people in the corner. And, and essentially, there's, like, ways of knowing like, how far away you are from them. But it's a it's a super fun game for adults, I would say, because I think it might be a little bit kids. Kids would kind of be over it unless they're in their teens or something. But um 
it's a no, super it fun like one. A I, I love the mystery of that. That that's mm-hmm. unique to me. I don't think I've ever played a board game like that where there's a piece on the board. I mean, we play. I mean, okay, there's invisible things that happen in board games like Clue, right? <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. like your basic, you know, uh, Danny Wrench on the chessboard, you know, with the candlestick. But um, by the way, we should make a chess meets Clue hashtag Ooh. idea town. Anyway, that's for later. But uh, anyway, that's interesting. you reminded me of one more game I want to mention before we move on to the uh, why technology is ruining our lives, which we have to talk about because E3 is going this week. But uh, I, I want to say that a game that I that I play. And I really enjoyed, and, and the entire Chess.com team, this has become sort of a tradition at our yearly meetups. Uh, we, don't, we don't have an office. We don't have a physical office. A lot of people ask where we're based out of. We are initially based out of Palo Alto. We had an office right on Castro uh, in Mountain mm-hmm. View. So that was back in the original days. And But um, now everybody just lives all over the world. And so part of the thing we like to do for everybody is, is we bring all of our employees to a global, to a location, um, usually a tropical one, uh, which now is, we've gone from 50 to 90 salary employees this year, James. That is another discussion. So uh, it's just crazy. But so this year it's going to be real nuts. But we bring everybody to a location and we play. And one of the things we've, we've made a tradition of playing is the game Mafia. Mm-hmm. Which, for those of you who don't know what Mafia is, it's basically a game that I, I it popped in my head because of this mystery of, of Mr. X that James brought up, which is a, it's basically a game of pathological liars and sociopaths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but it is, it is so much fun because you, you end up in an environment where you're with a bunch of people that you love and you just enjoy their company, but you're just lying to each other and manipulating each other and nobody trusts anybody. So if anybody wants to, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll find a link to the Wikipedia about Mafia. There are some some different variations, but we basically play the basic variation where, depending on the number of people in the room, if you have 10 people in, in a mafia game, you might have, uh, you know, two or three people that are mafia, probably just two, and then one or two detectives. Um, and the basic process is that the mafia get to sort of assassinate people, and the, the townsfolk are constantly trying to figure out who the mafia are amidst this subterfuge and deception and so just so that's the basic premise and the detectives are on the citizen side with one advantage that they are allowed to sort of get a little bit of extra information so i don't want to talk more because we got a lot more to get to but i recommend that and i will just say that shout out to all my chess.com teamies i'm (laughs) I'm looking to dominate at mafia this year once again we have had some legendary some epic rounds of mafia that ended with like like they were four hours long because you have 35 people and the amount of discussion and, 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 and manipulation where, where people were like the mafia team winning. Like they like, we like literally went nuts and we're like screaming and jumping and so happy. So, so we get a little carried away. And I, <laughs> I have to mention this because I don't think Eric, our CEO listens to the podcast yet, but I have to mention that we probably, we probably had a, not a firing, but there was a there was a there was something that went down in a mafia game that eventually led to somebody not being with the company three months later. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's oh not, my goodness! But it wasn't it wasn't because of mafia. Like it wasn't working out. Uh, it was a developer who he had only been with the team for a few months. Like he kind of came like he was brand new, and it just in the long believe me, this is not a company that makes decisions based on emotional subterfuge. But 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 because the, because this employee is no longer with us, we are me and Jay are constantly teasing Eric about what went down between him and this other person in the Mafia game <laughs> and, and basically saying that Eric Eric let go of this person purely because of what happened in the Mafia game which isn't those, true but it, it's pretty funny I love those like long like long things that like come back like every like two or three years like a story that like won't go away it just like yeah, keeps no, it's, 
All right, Mutz, E3's going. Uh, the Microsoft conference, or the, you know, things were a little confusing. There's a new Xbox, or is it new? I'm confused. Tell, tell, me, tell me what's going on here. Yeah, it's one of those things where not just is, you know, technology is, is ruining our lives in, in multiple ways, but in this week, it's more like the marketing department is ruining all of the parents' lives this holiday season. Because right. when you go into the store this holiday, You'll have one Nintendo console to pick, the Nintendo Switch, which is the right choice. And then you'll have three different Xboxes. You'll have an Xbox One, an Xbox One S, or an Xbox One X (laughs) to pick from, all at different prices, all with different features, uh, which is very confusing. The Xbox One X is the, the powerhouse. This is the Scorpio. This is the successor but not really the successor because it plays all the old games and every single game will play on any Xbox One that you actually buy. But if you buy an Xbox One X, it'll be 4K optimized. It'll do 4K Blu-ray. It'll do all sorts of crazy next generation, 18 billion teraflops of processing. And it's 500 bones, which is quite expensive, but it's a powerhouse of machine, right? I mean, it's a crazy computer inside of this tiny, the smallest Xbox I ever built um, also on the Sony side who had a terrible press conference, I thought, I thought it was, it was, it was just people sitting and watching trailers for an hour, which that's all it was. Like they only talked for five minutes. It was kind of mind blowing, but maybe that's what they're transitioning to. I don't know. I'll see what Nintendo does here in 10 minutes. But, um, um, it was interesting cause then on PlayStation, you have PlayStation four, PlayStation four pro. And so now you have like six different choices this holiday season as a, as a parent going in to make a choice. Now, if your kids are like me growing up, you, you go into the Sears catalog and then you take, um, your scissors and you cut out all the things you want. And then you make a little, little, little diagram and you go, here you go. This is what I would like. And then you get nothing on that. <laughs> Don't list. give my kids any more ideas of, <laughs> of ways that they get to request them. Because I already anticipate the confusing conversation between me and Nash, the, uh, the he'll be 12 this holiday season asking mm-hmm. for an Xbox one X. So I'll, I'll tell him, like, why don't you write to your Uncle Mots and ask him to explain to your dad why you need an upgrade from Xbox One X. And then if he can convince me, we'll talk. Yeah, so so my recommendation this holiday, Mots' recommendation, is if you have a 4K TV, which I don't, then I'm just going to stick with my Xbox One S, which is a very nice package, only 250 bucks right now. Great deal, phenomenal system. And if you're bleeding edge and you want all this stuff and you you know really need it, go ahead and get it. That's fine. It's going to be a great console, but me next year, I think once the deals start hitting, I'll, I'll, I'll pull it up. But, you know, that's why video games matter. Is E3 still a thing? Um, I'm yep. pretty sure after I watched Magnus, after he became the world championship, he's like, I'm done with this. Chess doesn't matter anymore. Um, but um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure we do this show, so it does. Danny, can you help explain what's going oh on? Oh, my God. First of all, bravo. I, I, you, had me, you had me hanging on every word. I didn't know you were transitioning to our next topic, which is just... Again, you, you, you surprise me every week. So uh, chess, chess doesn't matter, but there is one thing going on this week, which is the strongest tournament of the year is taking place in Norway right now. It is the Alti Box. I, I love mentioning sponsors. I, th- I think as a chess player, I go out of my way to make sure I mention the sponsors because I always want people that are supporting the game of chess, whether for philanthropic or... Um, you know, marketing or and branding uh, recognition, whatever their whatever their reason. Altibox, thanks for supporting chess. The Norway Chess Superfinals going down, and what's going on? Magnus Carlsen is not defending his home turf. Um, Levon Aronian actually took down Magnus in a rather brilliant game that I recorded, and it is on YouTube. So if anybody watching, uh, listening to this right now, we'll include a link into the show notes, um, or you can just Google Aronian beats Magnus, and my video will be there. But I have to apologize, first of all, that that video had terrible 
sound. I actually spent several hours trying to troubleshoot because the game was so awesome. I was so excited that I had to record this video despite the fact that I was not equipped to do so. I was literally in the pool all day. People are lucky I put a shirt on for that video. <laughs> and I was hanging out with the kids. It was a Sunday. We were having a blast. And this game happened. And I was like, honey, I'm going to do a quick, awesome video for YouTube and Facebook. I've learned a lot from this brilliant game by a LeVon Aronian. I want to explain it. So I did it um, using OBS and, and uh, you know a, a mic that I kind of travel with and, and on my MacBook Pro. And it was not my full, awesome setup that I'm recording on now with this dual monitor professional sound system my, my my awesome pc so apologies for that apologies for the sound i hate i hate turning around a product like that that just isn't good quality but we had to do it so norway's going on if anyone wants to go to chess.com tv we've got we've got coverage if anyone wants to go to uh, youtube i mean we've got highlight videos but it's awesome to see the world's best chess players these are the top 10 players in the world all in one arena mm -hmm. going at it so that's um that's what's going on. But I, I want I want to get to the next section because I know James has some questions for me. James, you know, your name, I just want to say, playing you on chess.com, every time I see your username, you put me into song because I think of, I start thinking of Alexander Hamilton. I go, James Montemagno. His name is James Montemagno. <laughs> Seriously, your name is, it isn't quite as, as, uh, uh, song songifiable. Uh, it's not quite as lyrical as Alexander Hamilton, but your name is a song. I could sing your name, James Montemagno. I hope you do every night before you go to sleep. That's my. I say, my James Montemagno. There's a million blunders left to make. You're making lots of blunders in these games, but I love you. I do appreciate that. So this is a very exciting week for me. Um, I became a diamond member on chess.com naturally, like everyone should. Um, <laughs> give Danny all your money, um, and. Um, it was interesting because uh, I challenged a few people. I've been playing some from live games and and you and I, Danny, we had two games. We had a, a two day game and a five day game or something like that. But we just basically played back and forth really quickly anyways. Yeah. Um, and this was nice because I got to go at my own pace. I really like this type of chess. I, uh, I've been playing some five or 10 minute games and I run out of time. I, I don't quite like it because I feel stressed and I don't want to feel stressed playing chess. I want to enjoy it and then right. get stressed when I'm about to lose. Um, so I wanted to see if you could break down. We we talked a little bit about my opening uh, with my Rui Lopez, but I just wanted to kind of like from an inner, from an IM, Mats asked an IM, how did I actually do playing against an IM from someone that is brand new at chess? Um, and you don't have to go over it too, too deep, maybe just a few minutes here and there before we wrap up. But how did I do? How did, what was your, what well, was quick, your thinking? Quick summary. So the, the game you had going is white. The Rui Lopez game, I think was your was your best that was that was the higher quality game even though it ended first because partly mm -hmm. uh, your king side just opened up too quickly and you actually inspired me to do I'm um, starting a new little quick twitter thing where I'm doing a daily chess tip every day just to kind of give a quick uh I don't know some little chess knowledge but one of the issues with moving pawns around your king's position is that very often later in that game you wish you could move them back but yeah. pawns can't go back. And so, you know, you extended this G pawn. You started out with a very good Rui Lopez, but you're going to go back in the game and just kind of listen to this general advice that there was, you want to avoid that overextension of your, of your king side. Now, I know you're going to say that I did it too. I broke the rule too. But <laughs> the difference was I had, I had more pieces coming in to fill those holes and fill the squares. So I was sort of really, I was creating more space for myself and, and I was willing, or I guess I was able to risk it. You know, it's hard when you're giving advice. Like, I don't want you to feel like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth, but I just want to make clear that 
if you can't keep the center closed and if you can't keep your king safe, mm. those types of pawn moves around your king will always come back to bite you. And as a general rule with beginner players, we basically say, like, don't move any pawns around your king's castle position because later on, I've actually done fun quizzes for my students where I've said, hey, what's the best move in this position? And let them think for like three minutes and they can't find it. And I said, you know why the best move is? It's to move your pawn from G4 back to G2. So they laugh and they're like, oh, well, that's not possible. Pawns don't go back. And I'm like, yeah, duh, right? So what you just <laughs> learned is the best move in this position was for you to fix a mistake you made previously, yeah. learned your lesson about overextending your pawns. Now, your game is black. The game is black. I think, I think a basic thing we need to work on is just a little bit more prophylactic thinking, which is just a little bit more of... See, the first stage, we always hear that chess is a great game for cognitive development, and it does establish these critical thinking skills of consequences for your actions. Mm -hmm. But the first step of critical thinking in chess is my opponent went there. What is he trying to do to me? They yeah. made a move and you have to establish why did they go there? But that's the first step because by definition, if you listen to the semantics, it implies past tense. A move has already been made and you are now trying to establish why they went there. That's not bad. And that's like what kids need to learn. You know, really young, they start to learn to think outside themselves. But the next step, the true step of critical thinking is, 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 is really where it's at, which is if I go there, what is their next move? Yeah. And it, it changes you to be just that one thing. I mean, even at the highest levels, games are only lost because they miss what their opponent was going to do next. Yeah. And no matter what, maybe maybe at the highest levels, it's a positional you know, manipulation or strategical idea that was like 10 moves deep. But no matter what, games can't be lost unless you miss something your opponent is trying to do. And so, and so that's just something to challenge yourself when you're thinking of like, all right, not just why did they go there, because that's past tense and it might be too late. But if I go there, where is this game headed? And, and really just trying to push yourself a little bit harder. So that would be my quick James Montemagno chess tip. <laughs> yeah, it was it was interesting because my game is white and I'll put these links into the show notes because I love how chess.com I actually just share a link and you can watch all of it back. It's been I didn't even know this was possible and I did it and it blew my mind. Um, and it's funny because for 15 moves, we didn't take a piece from each other. And I thought I was doing amazing. But now I am. I actually see this trend now that you've mentioned it of me overextending my pawns and then watching your pawn. So I will say last night I had a conversation with Heather while I've been enjoying chess. I said, because it's, it's putting me in this uncomfort zone of of thinking not at the current, but thinking of two steps in, in into the future of the why and then the reactive. But if I'm reactive, then what's about to come? Because that player has gone through the exact same thing, but in reverse of they almost have some ideas of where my piece is going to go. And I've made some stupid blunders and I was just like, oh, I wish I could take it back, but now I can't. Or, or I wish I hadn't moved that pawn. But guess what I did, you know, um, but I have had some victories, so it's good. Not against you, obviously, but um, one day I will. But I will say that I was very excited to get to 16 moves and and, and set us up in this weird, amazing configuration. It, it was a yeah, lot of was. fun. I enjoyed it. So honestly, the game was you were doing really great. It was very equal. And then and then, as I said, the king side got overextended. But before that was a very good game. So seriously, no, no, no smoke being blown. But let's let's bring it to a close. Remind everybody that from now on, when you say James Montemag, no, no matter what your tone is, you have to sing it. Mid sentence, James Montemagno. All right, follow James Montemagno everywhere he is to be followed and uh, keep the feedback coming. Yep, we love it. Thanks, everyone, for joining in. Go to blunders.fm to send us some feedback and, of course, share this episode. And if you're on iTunes, we've had some great reviews, so please leave a review if you like the show. We'd love it. Um, Danny, have have a great, great week. Enjoy the Norway chess. Enjoy some E3. I'm going to go watch some Nintendo you enjoy Norway. You know, you're going to be in Oslo. Maybe hit up the uh, physical location where the tournament's going down. Oh, 
I'm gonna do that. That sounds fun. All right, buddy. Until next week. See ya. I love you. Peace.